to the Savage Beast Podcast. I'm Joe Gallagher, and with me, as always, Foreigner's number one scholar, Paul McLeod. Uh, thanks, Joe. You sound extra um, professional radio slick today, and uh, I appreciate you putting in the effort for that. Well, we're kicking it back to the uh, the 80s and 90s today, the when shock jocks ruled. That's uh, true. With our uh, review of bad songs that are we say are good, and therefore they are good. Not necessarily bad, just uh, uh, extremely mainstream and basic songs. We make, a, we make fun of basic people's taste a lot, so we're going to admit here that we have some of the same flaws. We too are basic bros. <laughs> I, I think we're basic bitches, Joe. It's okay to say that. Um, uh, Okay, okay, yes, yes, why that term is gender neutral. Yeah, yeah, I thought it always was. Maybe yeah. I was wrong. No, you are, well, it should be gender neutral. Oh, okay, um, it I is was, on this podcast. Yeah, I'd say I met more dudes who are just total biatches than, <laughs> than girls. Well, but that's totally different from being a basic bitch. It's just not even the same term oh the basic bitch is absolutely gender neutral there's there's no yeah yeah there's no that's what i was that. yeah that's what i was talking about yeah um and i do happen to be wearing ugg boots and drinking a pumpkin spice latte <laughs> right now um and that's uh that those are the only accessories that i currently have if i'm just new <laughs> otherwise totally nude i'm uh i'm gonna take a minute of silence to think about that and um <laughs> During that time, you can think about what I'm thinking about. Oh, boy. It's actually pumpkin-spiced uh, ayahuasca. <laughs> That's how you say it. What is that shit? I feel like I've heard that word. So it's a um, uh, a medicinal hallucinogenic uh, drug uh. Uh, that's used in religious ceremonies, I believe from South America. And it's pretty famed for um, the... Uh, convergence of people's uh, hallucinations on it, particularly that people often see a um, race of small beings that seem to be controlling the universe when they right. take it. Uh, right. Yeah. The midget lords. I know yes. That. Yes. They're like some sort of little greed men. Uh, there's some great, it's, you can go down a great rabbit hole uh, on the internet reading the quote-unquote research um, on it. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> How did we get on this subject? Oh, because I'm drinking a pumpkin-spiced hallucinogenic Ayahuasca. beverage. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, 
Yeah, so Joe, we have some, we're just going to, we're going to talk about some music today. We are, we are. Hey, Paul, can I ask you first, you uh-huh. had a tragedy in your life uh, uh, when you received your oh, special yeah. edition of Amuche Pool. Uh-huh. And it had no vinyl in it, merely the the elaborate sarcophagus for the vinyl that they um, that you're really paying for. But uh, yeah, um, I was uh, I was elated, and then I was uh, there's a fucking moth flying in my mouth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have the the only light in this room is my computer screen, so it's attracted to that. Anyway, um, uh, I was elated, and then. I was um, aroused, and then I was confused, and then I was crushed, and um, uh, it took me about a week, I think, to get out of the sort of emotional coma that put me into, but um, then I found out that they have good customer service, and they're sending me new vinyl discs within the next uh, week or so. Very nice. Yeah. Um, Apparently, this is a common problem that lots of people suffered from, so uh, uh, if you have been wondering why Radiohead shafted you on your vinyl version of a moon shaped pool uh send them an email it's not because they judged you uh insufficient to listen <laughs> your application to listen to a moon shaped pool has been denied <laughs> oh mercy um if that's not basic bitch i don't know what is <laughs> uh okay so we are talking about music uh we opened with a track uh from uh level ups new album uh i guess it's i should be specific level up is spelled l-v-l-u-p all Mm -hmm. caps and the album Mm -hmm. is called return to love Mm -hmm. and that song was called hidden driver it's the first words yes it's the first track on the album Mm -hmm. uh so this came out uh, a couple weeks ago oh i was gonna say i wonder if any of other readers had the experience i've had Every time I've listened to it, which is wondering, uh, why is Neutral Milk Hotel's ghost uh, on this album um, during I, that opening guitar riff? I, I think it would be hard to. Uh, there is no way that anyone uh, w- with even a passing knowledge or a passing appreciation of Neutral Milk Hotel uh, could listen to that and some of the other tracks on this album and not. Yeah, immediately be dragged back to uh, the <laughs> warm bath of Jeff Mangum's uh, uh, guitar uh, magic. Yeah. But uh, so yes, the the influences there in the guitar and in some of the sort of uh, droning vocals occasionally. But that specific opening riff sounds exactly like Ghost to me. Like I think it's the same they were intentionally making it sound as much like it as they could. Yes. It's ridiculous. Um, um, but yeah, uh, you, you suggested this album, Joe, so I'll let, give, let you give the first actual take. This fucking moth is going to fucking kill me. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, oh, the loud bang you're about to hear is now he flew away. Never mind. Don't kill uh, the ma- moth live on air. <laughs> let him live. A, he is a savage beast. The podcast gods require blood. Savage moth. Um, I got it. I was turned on to this band because um, uh, they. I just kind of read a story that they had decided to um, 
they had thought about calling it quits and they kind of people convinced them not to and to record this album Mm. um they were kind of you know had been tolling for a bit uh in the doldrums of indie whatever the indie rock circuit uh doldrums look like um i think we've all been that's most of that circuit yes um so you're visiting tucson and i'm watching you you are in those doldrums probably so it was so they had uh inspired some uh i think very dedicated fans and i was just like okay let's check this out they were getting some hype for their album um but that aside i just listened to it and i had such an immediate reaction to it that um Mm -hmm. i think i texted you some version of the neutral milk hotel observation you made um Mm -hmm. and when i first heard the album i was pretty excited i was like yeah i think i really like this um and then on subsequent lessons uh I found it to be, well, here's the best way I could put it. Um, I felt, thought it was, it was kind of, it was alternative rock porn. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paul, I feel like you use a lot of God metaphors and I use a (laughs) lot of porn metaphors, or I should say religious, like, you know, Christian theology metaphors um yeah which is weird because i have so much more sex than you do so i don't really get it but um uh just not gonna get into that here (laughs) um well i i use porn metaphors maybe i just watch a lot more porn than you do um so to me this is like alt rock porn because it's exactly what i want and that's a bit disconcerting it Mm -hmm. it kind of goes into this uncanny valley where it sounds so much like neutral milk hotel there's some built to spill there's some you know maybe like pavements heavier moments so you could i feel like you could find guitars sound the guitar sounds just like the blue album guitars a lot Uh, yeah totally in there yeah, yeah, and and it's it's such a close. It's you're in that uncanny valley. It's such a close imitation of so much fantastic rock that I'm kind of unnerved by it, even when I'm enjoying it, mm-hmm. um, or uncomfortable might be a better word, um, mm-hmm. and that might be a fancy way of saying that it's just not that original. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel special that I'm being pandered to all the way up here in my ivory tower. But um, <laughs> flattery is just not going to get you into my pants. Um, and much like good porn, after I experience this, uh, I'm just, um, I'm still left craving the real thing. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think you have. Uh, I don't really have much to disagree with there. Yeah. It is, uh, when you're listening to it, it actually is really fun and good. Um, fun. Fun's a good word for it. Yeah, even though it's sort of drawing on, you know, like Neutral Milk Hotel, it's fun in a sense, but it's also, you're never forgetting the um, sort of uh, uh, existential crisis that seems to be going on all the time in Jeff Mangum's art um, right. while you're listening to it, even if you are having fun. I think I think what's missing is some of that heft and weight. Like they're hitting all the uh they're combining a few different indie rock uh bands 
that you know maybe haven't been uh imitated this well very often um but there's uh there's sort of an emotional core that's maybe not quite there maybe i haven't listened to it enough uh, i've only listened to it twice but and i like you i enjoyed it both times yeah but um uh, I, I agree there's maybe a little bit something left missing there there's definitely um you know i, I think it's it it is lacking that emotional core because when you listen to a record um like uh car seat headrest you mm-hmm. just it it grabs you uh-huh uh its first chords also grab you but they grab you in a much more direct visceral way that you remember and this yeah. you just don't i just don't remember it that much like even mm-hmm. kind of the songs that i've liked and played a few times uh yeah. it it doesn't make that same deep impact yeah, there are definitely some riffs I remember where, especially when it gets really heavy on yeah. a few songs. And so, yeah. I like those, but yeah, I think I think we've sussed it out. There's, True. It feels a little bit like um, like uh, pandering is the word you use yes. and the word I was thinking of, and that's what it is. I'm go- I'm I'm curious. I'm curious enough that I think I'm going to go see them next week. Uh, they're playing here and see what the effect is like live. I bet they'll be really fun live because I mean. Yeah. If, uh, per, you know, with this sort of uh, uh, nostalgia type uh, retread music, um, I bet, you know, participation actually really helps that kind of thing specifically. So, totally. Um, I bet the crowd will be all into it. Or, I don't know. Are Portland crowds pretty good? Do they get riled up? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I have not been particularly impressed by the Portland crowd. Um Yet, uh, mm. I find them to be uh, uh, a bit reserved, uh, a bit too stoned, <laughs> um, and I think th- uh, a little, um, maybe, yeah, there, there's either, they, they seem to be, um, uh, too cool for school. <laughs> um, yeah, that's too bad. Which is too bad. Uh, but hey. Well, hopefully they can sing along to this because I bet that would be fun whether the music is uh, ultimately worthy of the Smithsonian or not. Totally. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, recommended, though. Recommended listen. Fun. Yeah. Well, and if somebody was like, hey, I love this. It really touches me. I'd be like, that's awesome. I'm glad that it <laughs> does yeah. it for you. Yeah. You know? I was curious. I was curious. I was wondering if you were gonna if if you were gonna uh, slaughter them for their lack of emotional. No, because I think they do the thing they're doing really well. Okay, um, I a, can't think yes. of anybody who sings this much like Jeff Mangum. Uh, <laughs> he's not actually. He's maybe like half as good because he doesn't really uh, throw his soul uh, up out of his throat and into your face while he's singing. Yeah, but it's still a pretty good. Uh, he hits on some of the things that make it work. It's interesting. Um, th- where is Jeff Mangum on like best singers? Like, cause he's, um, that's well, technically he's very low down. Yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, in terms of, you know, actual, he's not winning American Idol, but no. uh, in terms of actually being good at, at, at producing great music with his voice. Um, Pretty high. Definitely up. one of my favorites. Yeah. Like me too. top five. I, I would, I would have a hard time making a top five list that didn't have him in it. Yeah. Um, uh, can't argue with that. Um, okay. Uh, 
what is next? Next is Local Natives with their newest album. I don't remember. Sunlit you. Sunlit you. That's youth. right. That's right. Local natives with villainy uh, off of Sunlit Youth. Uh, Paul, um, did I? I started with you. Start. Okay, you. Go. I will start with this one. Um, Joe, I think we were both big fans of the previous Local Natives albums. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, both of them. I think I actually I have trouble. Uh, dis- it's not like I think about this a lot, but I would have trouble choosing which one is better. They're both uh, excellent. Yes. Anyway, um, uh, so this uh, album came out just last month, and mm-hmm. um, we actually listened to the lead single from it uh, a while ago and noted at the time that they were taking uh, sort of a more 80s pop rock turn. Yes. And it turns out the whole uh, album is doing that. Now, we've given the 80s indie uh revival some uh some sorry the fucking moth got in my hair um (laughs) (laughs) we've given it some shit uh but you know it can be done well there's certainly good examples of it um but uh i don't know i feel like doing that sort of just blended the interesting local native stuff 50 50 with not that interesting uh 80s uh pop rock ideas and the result is that it's about uh, half as interesting as one of their other albums. Wow, this is uh, boring as fuck uh, because I agree completely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and I think that this really um, might go back, uh, unfortunately, to um, my long-winded theory that a band kind of slowly spends mm-hmm. its like uh, limited a quantity of creative capital um, uh, often by the time you reach that third or fourth album. And I think yeah. that's true here. Uh, I think Pitchfork got it right when they said they sound um, old in a way uh, that they, they seem already kind of jaded and uh, jaded's the wrong word. They seem to be a little too earnest um, mm-hmm. after their kind of, um, refreshing innocence of their first two albums um here it comes off as um overly uh syrupy and Mm -hmm. cute uh 
they have a song on here, Fountain of Youth, um, where he, uh, they seem to directly be addressing, uh, they direct address Madam President, and you know, I have waited so long, Madam President, like as though oh they're God. talking to the future, you know, President Hillary Clinton on the song, and I'm just like, no. This is talk about pandering. Yeah, it's too early for your political, uh, milk toast political stylings, local natives. <laughs> um, and you know, when I saw them a few months ago, they put on still put on a fucking great show. As I've said, one of the best shows at Indie Rock. Um, mm-hmm. They are still a fantastically fun band again, um, which I use in a different way with them. They level up, and that they local natives like they're able to make fun something uh that has a real emotional uh connection um you know joyful more joyful than fun and that joy is definitely still on this album mm-hmm. uh, but i think that a lot of uh what made it striking uh has mm-hmm. been dulled by the 80s yeah. beats and and uh unremarkable pop production yeah um yeah, just to uh just to continue to agree with you. Um uh it's it's just sort of disturbing that a band that uh their first couple albums uh I don't know, they're really sort of uh unique. I don't actually if you ask me to do my normal uh this band is A plus B thing with those first two albums, I don't know if I could. They're a very uh very interesting little uh, niche direction for indie rock to take and yeah. this uh for them to then decide well for our big change what we're gonna do is we're gonna go back to the 80s and say that in 2016 when we've had like 10 fucking straight years of indie bands doing that um it's just it's not only uh it, it's it's unoriginal in an especially unoriginal way i guess is how it seems that's a to good me. way to put it i think local natives they're a plus b I think they're talking heads plus something, you know, joyful and fun. I don't know what band well, the that is. Talking heads are joyful and fun, but um, yes, but you know what? But some they're well, okay, good. Point, some of it fine. speaking in tongues is yes. Um, I would say that uh, talking heads is more uh, ex- exulting in a way. That's than true. Fun. That's we'll true. have this okay. argument later. <laughs> Sorry, I I was not appreciating the the fineness with which you were parsing your synonyms for fun there. Um, But I actually think you have a good point. Yes. Anyway, um, I I was... uh, It's hard to say I was disappointed in a Local Natives album, but I think I was disappointed here because um, they went in a new direction, which I'd be all for, and that direction Mm -hmm. was boring. Yeah. And it's not a bad album. I just, again, don't remember very much of it. Way less than I remember of Level Up, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Um, oh, well. Tell us how yeah. it goes live. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so, uh, enough with reviewing um, fun bands of the present. Let's review some fun songs from the past. So smoothly done, Joe. Yes. Um, ah, yes. <laughs> I fucking nailed that. <laughs> um, I landed yeah. that. I I was the controls were shaky and I landed that shit. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we've each got uh, 
like I, like we said at the beginning, we've each got four songs that we picked because um, I was. Uh, well, here, let's play the first song first, and then we'll go into did, how this led to the whole thing. Did this? Uh, so this is the song that inspired you to do yeah. for this idea. Okay, good. That's how I want to start. Yeah. Let's hear right, it. Here. What is it? Or are you going to tell us uh, after? Uh, I think I think no one will need any introduction, but we'll hold it for afterwards. <laughs> okay. Uh, history's greatest song wicked game by chris isaac and um <laughs> i'm glad to know you all agree with me about that <laughs> wow paul do you, is this really one of your favorite songs or is that I don't pure know. sarcasm no it's not sarcasm but it is uh it's it's uh i mean i'm aware of the irony uh <laughs> of saying that at the same time that i really love that song um so uh yeah i was just sitting uh at dinner with some clients for work and the the song came on in the radio uh on the you know PA system in the restaurant mm-hmm. and uh uh for whatever reason maybe it was the main brews i was drinking um it struck me like i would like to talk with joe on the podcast about how great this song is so um uh like i said uh at the same time that i love it it's uh hard to escape the knowledge that it's sort of a funny song for somebody who's uh, listened to uh, as much obscure and uh, confrontational and uh, to 98% of the world unlistenable music as I have to love this song that much. Because there's uh, nothing experimental about it. If anything, it's sort of just like a update on uh, Elvis um, bringing, you know, <laughs> sort of trying to resurrect him 20 years after he died. But... Uh, I don't know the. Um, let me pull up my notes here. Yeah, the uh, weird Elvis is a good place to go with this. I like that description. Yeah, exactly. Um, the slide guitar. Uh, I love this and all slide guitar. So uh, I'm sold right there. Okay. The very first note. Noted. <laughs> um, and then just every time he really uh, lets his voice go with you know like the I'd never dream and uh, then. In the chorus, you know, no, I, I love those parts uh, so much. If there's anything I could make my voice actually do, unlike what I just did to all of you, um, I think that's what I would vote for is that sort of uh, uh, sexy Elvis impression type of thing. So, um, 
Yeah, and then you've got so it's uh, just this really sort of haunting, shuffling ballad with great vocals, and then I love that at the end he caps it off with uh, a really depressing "nobody loves nobody" line that is actually a whole new uh, uh, melody even at the very end, and that's the end of the song. So um, it's great. Yeah, um, it's it's a weird low key song. Uh, it's weird that it was popular. Uh, it was uh-huh. really popular. Um, but Thanks I think, largely to the incredibly hot video <laughs> they made. Yes. Um, it was definitely a product of the MTV era in that sense, uh, where you could push something that way. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's also popular because this is a uh, great musician, uh, someone who is really respected and... Um, has a lot of more complex stuff, and this might be his, um, you know, that one song. There are many musicians, I feel like, who fit that mold, that they have a lot of, um, a large body of work, and then one song that kind of breaks through, um, uh, and it's not really, rep- I'm not sure how representative of this, his, in- his stuff this is, Um but anyway, to get back to the song, it's some dude. Well, wait. First of all, you blew my mind because I had no idea that Chris Isaac was a respected musician outside of this. I know exactly one other of his songs, uh, "Baby Done a Bad Bad Thing," and that's it. I just assumed he was some one-hit wonder Elvis impersonator guy. No, not at all. I think he he weirdly had like a TV show about I, like his hmm. all his music. Um, uh, it, uh, he was also, he's been on TV a lot. I don't know. Um, yeah. anyway, uh, we won't, it's, it was the Chris Isaac hour. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, he had, um, uh, only last for a season anyway. So he was like at the point where he was like hosting, I don't know if respected in terms of like, he's like a brilliant musician, but he certainly yeah. is like a career musician with one breakthrough pop single. That might be okay. a better way to put it. Got um, it. So anyway, you know, it's some dude crooning over maybe kind of a boring acoustic track, but it, it has, you know, those haunting vocals. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm high staring at a campfire <laughs> thinking about death. Um, and, you know, this song is playing in the background. It kind of changes the moment um, when you're listening to it. Yeah. Uh, it, um, one comparison I had was a uh, uh, more recent comparison is uh, Gotye. Is that how you say his name? You know, yeah, somebody probably. I used to know like that sort of except that that song sucks but go on <laughs> well but that's sort of like very weird song yeah. making this like pop breakthrough and that yes, part makes sense yeah yeah so that I, I it has to me that um um sort of arc to it yeah uh, but yeah this is a cool song and uh i think that there's uh going to be a recurring theme of songs that you're not necessarily seeking to listen to, but when they happen to pop up again in your life, you're like, oh yeah, this is cool. That's totally true. It's yeah. one of the, I don't own this song, but every time it comes on, I'm like, oh yeah, wicked game. Yes. Um, 
I wonder if has David Lynch ever used it on a soundtrack because it sounds exactly like something David Lynch would have used in like the Blue Velvet Twin Peaks era. It is a little Lynchian, that's for sure. Anyway, um, we got a lot of these songs, Joe. So I say we move on to the next one. Okay, let's listen to Alana Miles' Black Velvet. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, that was a one-hit wonder, uh, Black Velvet by Alana Miles, uh, her only uh, significant uh, hit uh, in a long career. Uh, And um, as that song hit the chorus, uh, I was fist-pumping and singing along. There's something (laughs) about it, um, which I have to say, uh, not written by her. She's a a pop singer. It was written by... Mm -hmm. She's Canadian. It was written by two other Canadian songwriters. Um, I I think that the um, chorus has a certain power uh, from the combination uh, of the lyrics with that soulful sound with you know a new religion that'll bring you to your knees black <laughs> velvet like well, that's it's weird nonsense that um <laughs> seems very compelling and I, I think it to me i remember hearing this um you know on the radio as a as a little kid and it connected to me um yeah. Uh, through, you know, um, the uh, General Paula Abdul's uh, of the world <laughs> that I was listening to back then. Um, yeah. And I still remember and appreciate this song now the way uh, I would never listen to or never be happy to hear um, some of the, uh, you know, other tracks that maybe like eight year old Joe would have danced around to. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I uh, I don't think I had ever heard the song. Not certainly not to remember it. Hmm. Um, and uh, uh, I agree with you. The chorus is pretty good. Um, she's got she's got a good Janis Joplin scratchy blues voice, um, and uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, but uh, I don't know the other parts of the song. The just sort of uh, straight basic uh, blues 
uh, rhythm in the verse is so straight ahead that I just sort of nod off in between the choruses. But uh, uh, that's that's totally tr- uh, fair. I think yeah. that when she's just like the first line is Mississippi in the middle of a dry spell, like it's <laughs> so. Um, yeah, blues basic, blues, blues basic. Um, <laughs> that. I, I think they're okay. This might be uh, crazy, but there's uh, just a slight Jack White quality to her in this song that I yeah. identify with. Like you could see him um, singing this, making it a little sillier and more dramatic at the same time. Um, yeah, but uh, it's it's a good song. It's a fucking great karaoke song. Totally, I can um, see that. Maybe yeah. that's what the White Stripes are, by the way. They're like blues opera. They just add the extra oh, weird drama to the blues. Anyway. I, I would on. go. I would see a White Stripes uh, jukebox musical. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, I don't have anything else to say about this song other than it was the one that when, I, when it randomly came on uh, in the car, uh, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yes, I'm ready for this episode because I must, you know, this song is like one of those bad songs that I think yeah. is good. <laughs> I, uh, I, think, I think your, your uh, rose-tinted nostalgia glasses are getting you on this one, but uh, it's not a bad song. It's just... It's white lightning bound to drive me wild. <laughs> oh man! It also every time the cor- the verse came on, I couldn't help but think of the uh, Sopranos theme, which also does the white person blues thing. And uh, true, yeah. and I also defend that as a good song. I don't know if I like that song. I can't decide. It's Ooh, it's weird. Interesting. I. Uh, it feels too much like broadway musical blues or something like that to me um i guess is how i think of the sopranos theme well but, by uh, the end of six seasons of watching the sopranos that's the other problem it has changed uh as you know from um a cool refrain to an expected yeah. moment um i will say i think i like this song better than yeah. uh, the um, Sopranos theme woke up this morning. Nice. Uh, All right. Okay. What's what do you have for us? <laughs> what should I have for us? Let's see. Um, let's spice it up a little bit with uh, Britney Spears. I'm a slave for you. Okay. I know I may be young. When you're dancing there I'm a slave 
that takes me back, Joe. That takes me back. What is that? Where does that song take you back to, Paul? It takes me back to, I don't know if I actually heard it in this context, but it takes me back to the clubs I used to go to in Oxford, England, when I was studying there for a month in 2002 in college. Mm. Um, the other song that does that is uh, Move, Bitch, Get Out the Way by Ludacris. Nice. But, um, <coughs> which, that song is an underrated club banger these days. I hope the kids are still listening to it. Anyway. Um, the kids so, don't even know who Ludacris is. <laughs> that's... That's a shame. He was That's uh, ludicrous. <laughs> I avoided saying that. Um but uh he was he was a he was a top-notch uh party rap uh guest star if you ask me. Anyway, um uh so this song the uh the lyrics are terrible. They're mm-hmm. just really bad. Um but uh, despite that, Britney's voice, I think, actually her breathy half singing sort of goes along pretty well with the amazing Neptune's beat, which actually yeah. makes me feel like I'm cheating by picking the song because fuck it's this. Neptune's. I, yeah, fuck that. <laughs> I'm jumping in here. This song is completely cheap it, cheating. This is it's written by the Neptunes, early Neptunes, like before they were completely infected by being insanely famous, Pharrell Williams in particular. He's a god of pop songs. There's a reason he is like now regarded as, you know, the deity in that mm-hmm. pantheon. Um, it's uh, subtle and alluring, and the chorus is uh, like darkly sexual. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> there, it's fantastic pop song writing. Uh, it's it's a talent. Um, and yeah. when someone has it in its most transcendent form, uh, it's impossible to resist, uh, especially if it fits, um, I, I think, your mind's particular shape. And with this song, uh, uh, like I said, it's a darker, more menacing feel uh, yeah. that works probably for both of us. <laughs> yeah, so I agree uh, that it is sort of cheating to pick the Neptunes because the Neptunes are obviously respected by everybody at their peak, Mm -hmm. but it is Britney Spears, you know, and this was sort of the first time she did anything like this. So, right. Um, I feel like that slightly justifies it, but if you, if you're going to call me uh, a liar and a cad because I picked this song, I won't really disagree with that. (laughs) I won't call you those things. Well, I guess I'll call you a cad because just because that's fun. Um, But, uh, I will say that if you compare it to um, Britney Spears' song Toxic, Mm -hmm. which kind of goes for the same thing, um, there is definitely uh, a a noticeable difference. I mean, Toxic, Mm -hmm. I have some nostalgic feelings for that song because it was our senior year of college and was got played a lot of parties then but mm-hmm. it's obviously much worse than this song and which is funny because i believe pitchfork put toxic in at like number six on the best singles of that year or whatever uh well we can debate classic you know, toxic is like supposed to be super dark compared to this song which is just kind of um you know transgressive yeah uh, quote unquote but, transgressive i am sexy britney now and then of course everything went to hell five years later but yeah um and i think that uh uh i think that um um that 
this song uh, definitely is the, can we say it's the late period of Britney? What is it? The second period of Britney? This was her third album uh, okay. called Britney. So the first one was, of course, uh, One More Time, or at least it had One More Time on it. Yeah. Then the second one was uh, led by um, Oops, I Did It Again. Right. So those that's were. That's all early period. That's yeah. like first phase. So this is yeah. second phase. Yeah, there's another um, great Neptune song on this album, by the way, called uh, "Boys," um, which I almost picked instead because it's uh, just about as good. Oh, I need to listen to that after this. Um, I do not recall that. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, Britney, good, Neptune's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, no, Britney is bad, but uh, she did a decent <laughs> job with the Neptunes behind her. I will also say, as a final note, uh, the line "What's practical? What's logical? What the hell? Who cares?" is one of those lines that pops into my head all the time when that's like an appropriate sentiment to have mm. um, just because uh, you know you have those little bits of art that float around in your head and some get reused a lot because they apply to a lot of different situations so uh, that's one of the reasons the song is always sort of in my mind so do the Neptunes in this case write this song I mean I mean, write the lyrics. Write the lyrics to the song is what I was trying to say with that, uh, you know, vocal fry. We could we could look that up, and and I have no idea. I hope not because they're bad lyrics. (laughs) But obviously, everything that is not coming out of Britney's mouth is Neptune's produced. So, um, I think we really can probably give them credit for this song. Yeah, not that I want to take it away from Britney, but. The reason I like it is the Neptunes. I would love to hear someone other than Britney perform this song. Uh, yeah, like if you put like Beyonce on it, it I bet it oh. would be even better. Holy shit! Beyonce covering this song would be unreal. Yeah. Whew, I just got a I got a, a little jolt from that. You got a Bay Yoner. Yeah. Uh, about that. that would be uh, an overwhelming sensation. <laughs> uh, let's move on. All right, Joe. What do you have for us next? Okay, I have a good um, – I'm going to pair this with uh, Debbie Gibson's uh, Only in My Dreams. Okay. Debbie Gibson, Only in My Dreams. And yeah, um, this song, uh, do you know who wrote this song? Um, not Debbie Gibson. Mm, I bet mother, you're going to say Prince. Fucking Debbie Gibson. Really? Yes. Wow. Pop diva writing her own song. 
Was, uh, was she like 14 when this song was recorded? Yeah, yeah, she wrote it really young. She actually wrote it, um, well, she was uh, wrote it when she was 15, and okay. it was, uh, she was 17 when it came out. That's that's actually impressive. Yeah. Uh, I, um, I, props to her. Yeah, um, so I um, I really had not heard this song. I mean, you know, I probably heard it when I was uh, a little kid, but I did not remember it at all. I heard it again maybe like three years ago, um, and it really just became uh, my one of my favorite 80s songs, mm-hmm. uh, 80s pop songs, um, just off the bat. Um, I think it's perfectly put together. Um, I think the way it kind of breaks into the chorus and everything kind of smooths out, and it mm-hmm. gets to this kind of dreamy sentiment where you know, something that seemed possible now becomes unrequited and, you know, in the distance. Um, I found that um, just as captivating now as it was when it was written, you know, 30 years ago. Uh, I think it's just great songwriting. And I think that to me, it probably uh, just is a great example of why I you know, still pay attention to pop music, still have pop music that I love, that it's, uh, you know, something that, um, you know, there's a, a quality to pop uh, songwriting that when done um, at at the highest level uh, achieves uh, a really meaningful and unique effect for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, so I agree with you that um, a really awesome pop song is uh, uh, a gem to be treasured. This one, uh, there are some really good parts from it. I think it strikes you as better than it strikes me, and that's not really a criticism. It's just, uh, I don't know, I my sense is that, especially with these super sugary pop songs, mm-hmm. it's a very idiosyncratic thing whether this particular one hits this particular person. Absolutely. That way. <laughs> but um there are some really good parts like the little uh uh part at the beginning and then that comes back later is uh very catchy and um uh also the sax solo towards the end uh makes me laugh because yeah. it's just so <laughs> the sax solo is fantastic in a different way um uh, <laughs> motherfucking baker street shit going on there um uh <coughs> I should also say that uh, I randomly tweeted about this song, how good it was from our Twitter account, and Debbie Gibson herself uh, responded and retweeted it, yeah. uh, which uh, was a high, a Savage Beast Twitter highlight. Absolutely, except that it was probably like her 26-year-old uh, social it's, media it, intern. No, it but... seems to be her. I don't know. Okay. I, I think that there's some of these people, she's just right, she's just the perfect level of person where she's famous enough that you find her, but not famous enough that, like, she would really give a shit about, like, you know, she's what, like, 50? She's like 45. 40. Oh, she's like 45, 50, right. Yeah, like, like she, she just doesn't care that much about, you know, yeah. uh, having a publicist respond to these things. Anyway. That's true. Um, I think you're absolutely right that songs like this are, um, it's all about your, you know, it hitting something extremely like a very precise target. 
Yeah. Um, especially with people like us who have, you know, vast and <laughs> complex music tastes. Um, mm, I will say so that. So complex. <laughs> what'd you say? <laughs> so complex. So anyway. complex. <laughs> um, I will say that it. Hmm. Maybe my best way of expressing that is that if I were in a like 90s or rock band or just an alternative rock band, like I could see doing an extremely mm. sad acoustic cover of this at a concert. <laughs> that would actually be awesome. Yeah. I could totally see like the fucking screaming trees having a live version of this song. Yes. Um, the, the bangles eternal flame is same thing. Like I yeah. would do an acoustic cover of that well, for well, sure. The classic version to my mind is uh, there's a Ben Gibbard solo version of uh, Avril Lavigne's why you got to make it uh whatever the complicated yeah. song oh that's perfect that is exactly yes he does um complicated and he also does um uh girls just want to have fun uh oh, really sad yeah. <laughs> um and it's perfect that sounds exactly right both worth uh seeking out yeah the the pre-song banter on the version of complicated i heard is hilarious yes um, he uh he Right, where he says, "Why is this such a big deal?" Like, yeah, you just... I I wear different clothes with different people. It's... Yeah, <laughs> I'm kind of different when I hang out with my guy friends than when I hang out with you. Is that like terrible? <laughs> well, when you're a 15 year old who's a little bit of a rebel and is starting to realize that the world is full of fake people, any <laughs> level of that fakeness becomes distasteful to you. I actually remember feeling that way, so I get it. But uh, oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, Avril Lavigne is not showing up on this podcast. No, complicated um, outside of Ben Gibbard's version is not uh, worth listening to. No, not really. Um, so yeah, Debbie Gibson, still a total babe and totally welcome to come on the podcast sometime if Ooh. in her uh, in her uh, post-fame uh, uh, career she just feels like shooting the shit with some guys who enjoy her uh, her career. Wow, yes. That would be amazing. Let's make it happen. <laughs> Year three podcast goals. Debbie Gibson. <laughs> that would be so great. Um, What's right. next? What is next, Joe? I think we're going to go with... Um, let's go with Foreigner. Yes. Uh, so this is... Uh, Joe, do you want to know what love is? Because I think I do. Uh, I want you to show me. <laughs> Joe, I have. Um. <laughs> I've got to take a little time A little time to think things over Between the lines In case I need it when I'm older I'm 
God. Wow. <laughs> I uh I don't know if I can keep podcasting after that, Joe. I'm just uh Yeah. Whew. I got to take a little time, a little time to to think things over. I mean, I better read between the lines. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh uh, man, I just uh, just I've got nowhere left to hide. <laughs> okay, that shouldn't be as funny as it is. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the lyrics are, uh, that sort of, uh, I I feel like there's this thing, especially in 80s power ballads like this, where the Uh goal of the lyrics is to just not actually be specific lyrics, but to just be the platonic ideal of power ballad lyrics. Yeah, I think the term (laughs) you're looking for is shitty. Uh. (laughs) Yeah, cliched (laughs) shitty, but it's like, if... If you were like, well, you know, you could actually say something about, you know, the situation that's making you feel like you need to take a little time. You'd be like, what are you fucking talking about? That's the opposite (laughs) of what I'm trying to do. (laughs) The idea is to make it as bland and not uh, not specific to any one individual thing as possible, Um, which is, of course, the worst way to go about making great art. But somehow this song pulls it off because... I don't know. There are a lot of 80s power ballads like this. Some other ones I jotted down are like... um, not all these are power so much, but uh, uh, Right Here Waiting for You by Richard Marks, who really mm. should have called himself Dick Marks. Um, and then... <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Listen to Your Heart by... Uh, I forget who wrote that one or performed that one. Um, uh, another example that I actually really like is um, uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, but anyway. Total Eclipse of the Heart is a, another level of what's going on here. See, uh, I feel like this is actually the top level personally for me. And this is, again, getting it. back to probably depends on individual to individual. But, yeah, I mean, um, to me, this song uh, – well, no, go ahead. Talk, I, I'm okay. going to – you talk about this Okay, song. actually, the real ultimate level of this is a song that is now so enshrined in um, – ironic nostalgic canon that we couldn't have chosen it for this which is journey um yes uh don't stop believing yeah don't stop believing um (laughs) thoroughly been played out everybody's enthusiasm for that song which is deserved because it really is hilarious but (laughs) interestingly like don't stop believing and total clips of the heart are um always in constant competition for like climax of the like drunken you know karaoke exactly long night of karaoke um where you know okay this is the song we're gonna sing before we sing closing time because that obviously must be the song (laughs) you sing at literally every single uh, the end of every single karaoke session yeah well i want to nominate i want to know what love is as being equal to those and it should be played because Paul, we, I need don't to, we need to do karaoke with some group somewhere and, and you know, introduce them to this song. And no one wants to hear me karaoke. But <laughs> <laughs> as we learned last time around. Anyway, um, uh, this song has a great acronym. You have to start there. I-W-K-W-L-I is uh, a strangely entrancing acronym. Okay. Just look at it. Uh, second of all, uh, 
you know, like what what I think really marks these power ballads is that they try to take some quantity of emotion that's like equivalent to what everybody who lives in the city of uh, something like, you know, Peoria, Illinois feels for an entire year and condense that into one four minute dose that you're going to take right now. And so by the time you get to the chorus, uh, the first and then the second and the third time, you're just like the catharsis is flowing through you like uh, like, I don't know, like the 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 power to make shots in NBA jam when you're on fire. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and so it's a, it's a patently ridiculous thing to even attempt. Like nobody should be able to inspire the kind of emotion they're trying to throw at you. Uh, one chorus in on this song. Um, it's just a total mismatch of like objective and means to reach that objective. Um, but somehow occasionally, it actually works for me, and I don't know. Every time I listen to the song, maybe it's because I like the sort of uh, uh, slight little uh, twist they put on the beat at the very beginning, um, and just the the quality of the singing or something. I don't know. Uh, I actually I actually do get into it. Like I was I was even rocking out just now as we were listening to that sample. Wow, um, did, I did not know that Foreigner included uh, a member of King Crimson yeah uh, wow um and yeah these guys were like all old when this song came out they're all like 40 which you will yeah. notice if you see the video because they look busted as fuck already yeah um it's called foreigner because they are our, uh it was half brits half americans mm-hmm. um so it's interesting that when i remembered this song uh i remembered it uh as a rock song and then when i went you know that's just how it is in my mind like that chorus Mm -hmm. had this like rock and roll quality to it when i went back and listened to it i was like oh this is an 80s pop rock song i mean the rock is you know more implied uh there's more right rock than right here waiting for you but less than like uh, poison or something like that uh, I will say that I've been waiting for a girl like you is more of my foreigner jam. Um, <laughs> uh, because was I feel song... like I know what love is, but I'm <laughs> waiting for a girl like you. You know, that's I feel like that's more um, uh, representative of my situation. <laughs> don't don't play this podcast for your wife, Joe. <laughs> um. Yeah. No so joke. Am I am I at all justified in actually liking this ridiculous, terrible song? Well, I I have two two approaches to that question. Um, one, it's like, you know, you're just jumping on the ride here. Uh, mm-hmm. I think a good. I think you provided me with a good metaphor uh, mm-hmm. for this. I feel this is like taking your young children to uh like a bizarro santa themed theme park instead of disney which i remember you did something (laughs) like that right was it santa themed or christmas themed yeah it's generally it's called santa's workshop yeah it's near colorado springs right it's like you know the your mind like young like a young child can't really tell the difference here you just kind of get on the chorus and you ride it through the end. Um, there's some 
uh some women singing on the end that's a little too much that's kind of like the scary santa at the end of the ride scary santa clown that i'd rather skip um but it's an otherwise it's a fun pleasant version um i yeah it's a, it's a carnival ride mm-hmm. in a way it's a classic in that sense I feel like with these power ballads that we're talking about, we're we're walking through the state fair, um, <laughs> kind of picking out, you know, oh, I like, you know, the vomiter, you know, or no, I like the Viking ship. Like it's it's you know which one you like. Um, it's it's a cheap thrill, but it has a powerful uh, effect on you nonetheless. Yeah, um, that was a tortured metaphor. No, no, actually, I liked it, Joe. That's okay. uh, that's fair. There's a certain artificiality to what's going on here, but it's uh, I don't know. It's it's interesting that we're discovering that these are not like these don't uh, which ones affect us the best are not necessarily universal to people even with similar tastes. It's just well, like oh, I happen to like that random dumb pop song. So I can't talk about it without bringing it to the song of you know mine that i've connected to the most which was uh um john cicada uh i feel let's listen to that and then i will talk about um how i these songs are kind of similar in my mind John Cicada with Just Another Day. Uh, and when I listened to this song for this podcast, 
um, and sat down and listened to it closely, I realized that that was the last thing that I wanted to do with this song <laughs> is to give it um, any sort of close reading. Um, it's a song where I just want to belt out the chorus mm-hmm. uh, when it randomly comes on uh, when I'm driving around um, or, you know, in a, some other you know, perfectly banal situation. Um, uh, you know, you, you roll down the windows either uh, literally or metaphorically and just kind of, you know, you get into that chorus. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's, you know, it's my, this song is just, it's just one of my jams. Um, yeah. And I think that, that is something where I find it connected to the Foreigner song we just listened to in that, you know, you just, you just want to sing along to it, but you don't want to give it that sort of intellectual, you don't want to give it access to that part of your brain <laughs> that you Because let. you know that part of your brain, brain will kill it. Right. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. You're just like, no, no, stay away. Stay away from that part. Like, yeah. you, you don't want to talk to it. It's it's not going to be pleasant. <laughs> like, it's like two friends that you're like, no, you guys shouldn't meet, actually. You got let's let's <laughs> let's keep it separate here. Exactly. Oh, it's like you and all the other people are like, no, uh, again, just kidding. <laughs> Joe, I would introduce you to anybody. Um, so, Joe. Yeah. I. Uh, this is the one of your songs that I think, uh, in especially, uh, I totally get why you're into this song. Okay. I've never heard it before. And that chorus is awesome. Yes. Um, the yes. transition from the sort of like belting out the first part of it to the falling, more subdued part at the end is just yeah. like... He nails that fucking shit, man. He really does. Um, the production on this song is pretty fucking cool. Uh, I actually the... think it's sort of like a bad generic 80s pop beat, but okay. apart from that, it doesn't really bug me. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe the production's the wrong term. It's it's the structure of the song mm-hmm. more that you're saying that kind of, I don't know, there's, there's a driving, rolling beat to it. That's true. Um, yeah. That... <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, um, uh, it's powerful. It's affecting. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, it's like there's some sort of like weird secret formula to like, I don't know. It's, uh, maybe this is just the secret to all music, but you can have something that's like this totally disposable piece of, of pop, uh, you know, just whatever that people, probably didn't even think that hard about it's some songwriter whose whole job is to just like pump out songs and a producer who does the same thing and they're like well if one in 20 turns into a top 10 hit then we're doing our job and just like strangely sometimes uh they they produce a great song and they get the right singer singing it and uh somehow uh despite the many elements that aren't very interesting or original you know like whatever the theme is it's probably just like ah you know it's just like you know forlorn love type of thing um it it just happens to hit perfectly and uh this this one i think works for both of us uh yeah i'm so glad then that i was able to introduce you to this um <laughs> uh amazing little bit 
of uh, 80s uh, wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. I think that there is a, um, you know, we have our baser needs um, when it comes <laughs> to, you know, even like our emotional health. And they're probably harder to pinpoint um, than uh, the more complex intellectual uh, out- outlook that you know we have we share with more artists because it comes from uh, you know a, a kind of mutual understanding and reading of culture. Whereas mm-hmm. trying to nail um, um, sort of a much more primal sense of longing as this song does uh, is um, a lot more of a shot in the dark, as you said, you know, one yeah. in 20 that you get a good song and then probably like another one in 20 that it's actually like emotional, emotionally affecting out of that. Yeah. I, uh, when you were talking about the baser needs, it, uh, made me think of an extremely tasteless analogy. Um, okay. (laughs) It's sort of like, you know, like a medieval nobleman or whatever Mm -hmm. who's got his, uh, his beautiful noble wife who's Mm -hmm. officially his partner, um, who, with whom all his legitimate children have to go through. And that's Mm -hmm. like the real orientation of his life is around that woman. But, you know, he also has some concubines to suck his dick on the side because he needs that done, too. So mm-hmm. I think John Cicada is like the concubine of our musical taste for us. Okay. Is, uh, what I'm getting at. I will uh, accept that metaphor without comment. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. It's It goes back to the, um, you know, this these these needs that be, need to be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. that you can't fulfill by every time by getting yeah i can't you said, pu- right i can't put on in rainbows every time i want to uh you know just sort of it, yeah. it's nice to not have to do put on in rainbows to get well that as we were talking about with level up it's like you can't put on um you know in the airplane over the sea every time you yeah. want you just need to like listen to something some like quick emotional hit like it's just yeah. it's too much exactly and it would it would debase neutral neutral milk hotel to do that if you just use it every day like that um agreed all right we have two more songs yeah all right um so let's do as i said joe this is a song i felt like i needed to talk to somebody about for like 20 years now and it was actually the last song i picked for this but when i thought of it um, which I did by just going through the uh, articles on Wikipedia of the number one songs on the Billboard charts. I started in 1980 mm-hmm. and went forward until I found a, a fourth song for this. And uh, the song wasn't actually on there, but the artist was. And as soon as I thought of it, I was like, yes, perfect. So here is okay. Don't Take It Personal, parenthetical, Just One of Them Days, Dim Days by Monica. It's just one of them days. When I want to be all alone, it's just one of them days. When I got to be all alone, it's just one of them days.
Oh yeah. So that is a song that uh, uh, has been getting stuck in my head um, repeatedly, probably once a month at least for the past twenty years. Wow. Um, a large part of it is because I spent all twenty of those years until I looked up the song for this podcast, <laughs> thinking that it is just one of them things, not just one of them days. Wow. So. Every single time somebody said it's just one of those things, that song would pop into my head, like, without fail. And then it would be stuck there for the next few hours. Because uh, I actually think it's insanely catchy, and um, I uh, really like her voice and the way she sings that melody. And it's not like I'm a huge Monica fan. I don't think I have ever tried to listen to Monica, apart from preparing for this podcast. Mm. But... uh, 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 I actually fan, like the song. You're not a fan of Brandy and Monica's uh, The Boy Is Mine duet. So, so that was actually the song that was on the Wikipedia list that made me realize that Monica was the one I needed to use for this. Um, that is a fine song, but yeah. Um, uh, so Joe, did you even know about this or think about this song ever before I threw it in your face for this podcast? Heard, yeah, I've heard of this song. Um, I had uh, heard the song. Um, I think it represents some essential quality of a lot of really great songs that we like, uh, the way that it really nails that, um, repetitive sample, um, Mm -hmm. and beat, uh, and puts a very compelling vocal hook over that. Yeah, I really like the beat. Actually, the '90s was when they figured out how to do cool beats on pop songs. Yeah, there's there's a lot of songs that um, kind of fit in this same category, um, and uh, I think that it. Um, uh, what the song I would have uh, um, brought up is that song. Oh God, I'm gonna forget the name. It's a song that's now now it suddenly became a meme in the last year. Um, mm. My Boo um, uh, is the name of the song. Um, I would probably know it if you started, if I heard it. Yeah, it became a meme. Like, people just start randomly dancing to it now. I don't uh, know why. Um, it's by Ghost Town DJs. Um, it goes, <laughs> At night I think of you. I want to be your lady, maybe. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've been I felt deficient when you were singing on the last pod. I had to do a little myself. Um I don't know that. Anyway, <laughs> the 90s uh were a great time for these very pure um thick <laughs> beats uh that yeah. like show up on this uh, song. Although I'm not the biggest fan of um the person yelling ghetto over yeah. and over in the background <laughs> that part is weird it's definitely like somebody was like uh we'll use that vocal snippet and we'll just we'll just play it randomly a bunch of times it'll be fine <laughs> it's not quite the baby <laughs> in the Aaliyah song but it's it's close um no that part was definitely lazy i totally agree with that yeah uh 90s r&b production thumbs up there you go um yeah so uh hopefully for at least one listener you too will now get the song stuck in your head when somebody says well it's just one of those things that a girl goes through and then yeah um i uh i still like this song there's nothing wrong with that okay so we've got one last song um Mm -hmm. 
it's uh saves the day with mm-hmm. sell my old clothes i'm off to heaven song that wasn't uh directly tied to like our 90s 80s nostalgic childhood but Mm -hmm. that like came a little more out of a different kind of um quote unquote badness yes yes um something that was more from my angsty side of (laughs) loving bad songs that just so uh, completely um, soothed a um, deep wound in well, my uh, angsty, uh, in this case, angsty collegiate soul. Uh, Joe, if that's what you were trying to do, then you completely fucked up because the song is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I think I realized that when I listened to it again, I was like, ah, fuck. I just kind of picked a good Saves the Day B-side and pretended that it was yeah. in any way bad. Well, it makes up for my Neptune song. It does. It does. It It is the rival that. And kind of shows it as your Neptune song being, I think, the latest like the or the most contemporary of your picks yes um and this being the most contemporary of mine that are just our taste got better (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean well the foreigner thing like i don't i don't know when i became aware of that song there's no there's no i don't have any memory of being like oh i love foreigner it was like (laughs) when i was researching for this podcast i happened across that song i was like yes this is perfect um but uh yeah, so that song, um, again, like all the rest of your songs you picked for this one, I hadn't heard it before, but it's got a lot of really great little musical uh, bits in it. It's got We went through like four different movements just in that minute and a half I just played um, because I wanted to get to the one that w- the, the final one that we got to. 
um, and they're all really catchy. All the YouTube comments under this video are like, this is actually the best Save the Day song, isn't it? And then everybody's like, yeah, I thought I was the only one who thought that. <laughs> Maybe that I thought that that was like, you know, uh, everyone thinks it's, oh, yeah, secretly, I know that this like uh, random Saves the Day B-side is the best Saves the Day song, and it's not anything shocking. Um, obviously, <laughs> someone like a Saves the Day so- fan played it for me. It was like, yeah, this is one of their best songs. So... Um, I shouldn't be surprised uh, that um, it is not regarded um, as bad in any form. (laughs) Um, I guess that my main point is with this was that, you know, going back to our emo podcast and thinking Mm -hmm. about like saves the day as being probably my favorite quote unquote emo band um, and just the general, you know, feeling that this, you know, that emo music is somehow a step below its Mm -hmm. cousins, you know, alternative and indie. Um, That's where I kind of, you know, have always um, been harsh on myself for liking, uh, you know, Saves the Day and Mm -hmm. their ilk. Um, But particularly Saves the Day, who I think are uh, a really good, uh, band and bring a level of complexity to um, emo pop punk that other acts do not. Yeah, no, this was uh, this was about as good as the pop punk genre gets t- to my mind. Um, again, this is like if you had told asked me what is emo, this is what I would have said. But now I understand emo to be less pop punky generally. Yeah, right. But uh, definitely whatever the intersection of those two genres is that this represents, um, uh, it's good. It's just like good, uh, fun, dumb, Mm. 90s inflected uh, pop punk stuff. (laughs) Probably what's emo about this is when uh, he's asking... Uh, well, but, what but is, the title is extremely emo. Yes, <laughs> when he's asking, "Oh, you know, what's he ha- what's he got that I don't have? Is it his brown eyes?" And then he uh, says, "I'll either wear dark glasses or I'll just cut my blue eyes out." <laughs> <laughs> so emo. Which is, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty fucking emo. <laughs> uh, his his brown eyes are turning blue, Joe. Um, <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> wow, bringing um, it back yeah. to a reference. Don't, yeah, nobody needs to know. Anyway, um, <laughs> do you have any further thoughts on Saves the Day? Well, High School Lit Mag would be a great name for an emo band. That's let me perfect. Say. So um, perfect. That might be my emo band name. Um, no, I think I would uh, save my Saves the Day thoughts for um the podcast in like year four where eventually um where i like rave about their album <laughs> through being cool for a solid 50 minutes so excellent excellent um, yeah i'm sorry that uh my fourth song was less um shockingly controversial than the others <laughs> well you know like we said uh it is a b-side and it is a band that the criterion i used to justify it when you asked whether it qualified was They've been around for a long time, and Pitchfork has zero reviews on file for them. So I that's kind of crazy. 
it's possible. I just discovered there's a, a guy named uh, a reviewer they had somewhat prominent named Chris Ott whose reviews they deleted entirely. So maybe he reviewed them or something, and uh, that's why it's not on the site anymore. Why did but, they del- wait? So I, I I heard a little bit. Why did they review delete his reviews? Well, so partially at his extremely bitter and aggressive request, which is mm. he's sort of one of these. Um, uh, uh, he's a he's an indie diehard. Um, authenticity means being an asshole to everybody all the time. Type mm-hmm. of dude, right? So he's always uh, now that Pitchfork is you Got know what asked. Rolling Stone was in 1980, right? Um, and they're owned by Condé Nast. In fact, it was the sale to Condé Nast that prompted him to say that uh, he was tweeting all about how uh, his contract with Pitchfork did not allow them to uh, publish his stuff in perpetuity. And so with the sale to a new entity and the fact that he hates anything big and unpunk like Condé Nast, uh, he was going to send them cease and desist as soon as the sale went through. And so they just decided to delete all his shit. Fuck yeah. Love it. Yeah, I uh, I enjoy a real asshole punk like that, even if I'm glad I'm not doing business with him myself. Yes. Um very, very Steve Al- Albini. Yes, uh, totally. Who, who maybe takes it a, a tiny bit too far, but that's a matter for another podcast because I feel like we've been talking for close to two hours here. Um, yeah, it's getting up there. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> with breaks, it'll come back down to an hour and a half. But do. anyway, thank you, everybody, for listening to us ramble for however long we will have r- rambled by the time Joe edits this. Um, and, uh, we, uh, appreciate any interaction you want to give us via Twitter. Uh, somebody nicely DM'd me the, uh, solution to my Radiohead problems when I tweeted it. So, uh, always good to hear voices like that. Very nice. But, um, uh, whether you hit us up, uh, at, at Savage Beast Pod on Twitter, savagebeastpod.com on the web, savagebeastpod at gmail.com for email, um, or, uh, what we really would appreciate is rates and reviews and subscriptions on itunes and uh also we're on all the android things like google play and uh stitcher and all those things so uh please check us out in all those places and share us with all your friends um particularly if you want to see us uh you know this might be a good episode of us being vulnerable and uh open to the value in other people's less uh less pretentious musical tastes so um uh i hope we i hope we reach some some new hearts and minds with that yeah, because after this, we're going to go back to calling you all basic bitches. Totally, bitch. Yeah, don't stop believing. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's a good way to end it.